unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. And please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It is Christopher Roush, your No Excuses Coach, and we are back here for another episode of the Raw and Unscripted Show with yours truly, Christopher Roush, the place where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Thank you guys for being here, whether you're live or on the replay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As of the recording of this live show, I'm still in Facebook jail, so unfortunately, we are not streaming live to our Facebook groups and our Facebook pages, but we're going to rectify that in six days because I'll be out of Facebook jail, and then I'll be sharing this show with you guys on Facebook and all the other groups and the pages, so thank you guys for standing by. Uh, if you guys have uh, if haven't heard, I was in Facebook, I've been in Facebook jail now for a couple, three weeks because my Facebook account got hacked, and they posted like 13 pictures of ISIS, and then I went and appealed it with Facebook, and they said, um, nope, uh, seems like you posted it. And then they sent me to an appeals board where I appealed every single one of the photographs and the appeals board came back and said, your case has not been selected this time. So I will be in Facebook jail for another six days, but I say that to you guys, if you're in business and you use Facebook, you use social media for your contacts and your customers, this is something that I made the mistake in. I did not, I'm not a big funnel person. I'm not a big database person. I just connect with people. And that's how I usually I get my coaching clients through social media. Um, but this has definitely uh, awoken me to the fact that I definitely need to get more of you guys in the kick-ass database, the newsletter, if you will. So um, if you're watching this broadcast and you haven't done so before, go to ChristopherRoush.com and there's a place where you can sit there and hit Christopher's newsletter. I would love and appreciate if you do that. That way, if there's anything that ever happens to any of my social media accounts, you and I are always be connected because I nearly have 5,000 friends on Facebook. I've been on Facebook since I think, I don't know, 2007 or something like that. And I am very selective with the people that I choose as my friends. I actually have probably about 600 friends waiting and I go through and I just vet them out and make sure that they're, they're sane and they're actually productive people of society. Um, so that is my lesson for you guys tonight. Um, so thank you guys for being here as well. And another thing I have for you guys, if you get paid for giving expert advice, whether you're a coach, whether you're uh, you know, a lawyer, whatever type of industry that you're in and you give expert advice, I want to invite you to check out an app called OWL, O-W-W-L-L. I've been on the app now for probably about three or four months now. I'm a part of the ambassador program. It is such an awesome way to get paid for your advice. You know how people are always saying, hey, can I hit you up? And they want to ask you one question or two questions. But then, you know, it's like 17 questions later and you realize you've been talking to them for an hour and a half. And normally you bill out at $500 an hour. This is a way for you to send them to the app. They can actually buy your time in 10 or 20 minute increments and they can have a little bit of time with you and be able to ask you anything that you want or they want. And then if that uh, if that conversation leads to more conversation, then you take them offline of the app and then you enroll them in whatever program that you have. It's an amazing opportunity to really get monetized or get paid for what it is that you do. And I'm a firm believer in it. I've had multiple conversations with the owner and the founder, uh, Jason Hill. He's a fantastic dude. So if that speaks to you at all, uh, hit, send me a private message and I'll be glad to entertain you and show you what the app is all about and guide you through it personally. That's my little, um, that's my little commercial for tonight. So I'm excited to have you guys here and uh, we got already woohoo you got we got some people in the house we got lynn serrano my sister from another mister she says i am excited about this interview thank you very much lynn i appreciate you for connecting rex and i we're going to be introducing rex here in just a second we got ray in the house what's up he says misfits for life are and a present misfits for life are and a present you're present. All right. I know I get that. Uh, by the way, Ray, I saw your live on Facebook. I couldn't comment on it the other day, but man, I'm proud of you going live and interviewing people, man. I know that's what's up. We got Robert in the house, Mr. Believe in yourself. Thank you, Robert, for being here. I believe I'm going to meet you on April 28th in Chicago. That's another question or another uh, little plug. I'll be uh, speaking at the power. We symposium in Chicago on April 28th. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a televised event this year. For those people who are not uh, still ready to travel, so I will be your master of ceremonies on the live feed for the program uh, and go check out the power of we symposium.com and you will find out more information about that, but would love to have you there. Um, Lynn says, hello, Christopher, you uh, love you, little brother. I love you too. And uh, Robert says here, you have a fan page. Yes. Um, yeah, I have a Christopher Roush fan page. And then I have all my fan pages on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it. TikTok. I'm even on TikTok now. Follow me on TikTok. Um, so anyways, um, appreciate you guys for being here. And in the conversation tonight, 
I want you to take notes. I want you to think about a particular question or a particular aspect of your life that you've been struggling with because my guest tonight is the person that you want to ask these questions to. If you've been held back, if you've been stuck, if you've been th living in a scarcity mindset, if you've been wondering what it is that you need to do next in order to change where it is that you are in your life, please consider asking my guest, Mr. Rex Sykes, uh, a question because he is a phenomenal individual. And please welcome to the Ron and Scripted Show, Mr. Rex Sykes, the author of this beautiful book, Life on Your Terms, Create the Life You Want. We're going to be talking about stuff in this book. Good evening, Mr. Rex Sykes. How are you doing tonight, brother? I cannot hear you. I cannot hear you. That is weird. What happened to you? Oh, I think you muted yourself. Muted. I was muted. Uh, I was like, don't, don't, don't. I, didn't go, did I just go deaf. <laughs> Let's so, try that again. Welcome yeah, to the show, Mr. Rex Sykes. <laughs> no, I'm so glad to be here, Mr. Christopher Rausch. Thank you for having me. I, I look forward to our time together, as I always do, and uh, and rock on. This is a, a, a great opportunity. I'm humbled and honored to be here um, and to uh, interact with you and and potentially others. So thank you. Definitely, definitely. We're going to have a great conversation tonight. I want to jump off in, uh, in, uh, oh, we got Lee in the house. We got Lee in the house. This is rock on brother. Appreciate you Lee being here. And of course, Lynn has to say, woohoo Rex. All right, so, so yes, we love, we love Lynn. So I want to just jump off into the deep end of this conversation tonight. I've been thinking about a lot in what I wanted to talk to you about tonight and the fact of just, you know, overall mindset. And I think about what we've been through in the last couple of years with COVID, you know, obviously March 20th, uh, here in the United States, at the very least, we went on lockdown in 2020. And what we thought was uh, a return to normalcy after just that, um, we realized that it wasn't because it's been now two years later, and we're still dealing with a lot of the effects of COVID and a lot of the other effects in society. We've had uh, the murder of George Floyd. We've got the stuff going on in the Ukraine. We've had presidential elections and things here. There's been a lot of turmoil. There's been the cancel culture. There's been the Will, Sla Will Smith slap. People are struggling, and and they're and they're and they're just they don't know where to look or turn, and they don't they're losing faith in, in humanity and they're losing faith in themselves. Talk to us about what COVID has meant for you in your growth and your introspection about humanity. Um, let's jump off right there. Wow, you sure you want to ask me that question? Yes, I do. Of course I do. It's been an, in, an incredible gift. It's been, a, it's been an awesome opportunity. Um, you know, Jesus, whether you believe in Jesus or not, I, and I personally, I don't care what people's choices are, but I, but I like to quote the Bible. or I, I quote all scriptures, but, you know, there's some remarkable uh, points to be made from the words uh, of the Bible. And one is, you know, he said, you'll have poor always. You know, there will always be problems. There will always be sickness. He didn't heal everybody. The world didn't end with everyone being in utopia. You know, it was it was like the, the miracles that I do, greater miracles will you do. And, and it seems that the greatest miracle is to be still and know, as he said, that I am God, which means that you are God, not just that he is or was or any of that stuff, but that you're a creator of your experience. You're an attractor of, of all things. You know, you are as powerful as gravity. When you think about it, gravity exerts a pull on you, but you, once pulled, push down on the planet. So you are a force to be reckoned with, and most people don't live that way. They live as accidents. They live haphazardly. They lived as Napoleon Hill described as drifting. They don't, you, you know, unless you come into your own power and recognize who you are and what you absolutely are able to accomplish, whether you do or not will be up to you. But what you're absolutely, you are, we as people, as a consciousness on the planet are just infinite potentials and, and just waiting to express ourselves with creativity and power and creation. And, and, and only a few do, you know, like 97% of the population never uh, go there. It's, it's truly an amazing thing. And the reason they don't is because pretty much they've been convinced that they can't. They, it's not possible that, that you have to live the way you live or you have to think the way you think. And until you change your thoughts and your thinking and say, you know what, I'm going to claim. I'm gonna, I was about 25 years old and I, and I realized one day that I had this gift called life, whether I was put here, whether I evolved here, whether I accidented here, whether I came from aliens, it didn't matter. But I was on this planet and I realized that the planet was then in my care. I was a steward of this planet, you know, or of this universe or of this consciousness. And before I got here, there were bad days. 
you know, there were earthquakes and fires and volcanoes and lightning strikes and meteors hit the planet and all sorts of dinosaurs crap. too. Yeah, isn't that amazing? All this stuff happened and there was no one around to say this sucks. And then humans arose and and from the arising of consciousness and the development of of you know bands and tribes and clans and you know civilization, we then had where uh, as nomads we settled, we now had property, we planted, you know, uh, agricultural you know farms and things like that so if a fire came through and burned everything down we were pissed if our hut got destroyed by a tornado we got upset because our our you know our, our fur coats went flying into the wind and so suddenly it became you know a less than glorious experience but guess what you and i are on top of the planet we're walking around with infinite potential to create anything we want and make it happen and most people spend their time complaining about the barista at starbucks or the guy that gave him the finger on the freeway Yes, sir. So, mm. so, so I love that. I love that. So talk to us about, I mean, obviously you come across very intelligent. You've written a, a, a great, great, great book. Um, tell us about your journey because uh, your journey did not start off so great. So uh, let's, 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 let's kind of back up the clock a little bit and talk about the initial Rex psych story. So we can give people a, a basis of where it is that you were and where you're at now. You know, I'm not that smart. You know, I mean, I don't know what my IQ I would is. agree, totally. <laughs> no, well, you should. I'm not that smart. Right. I'm much smarter really than anyone else. That where I am smart is that I decided that I had to do something in or on my own behalf. I had to take charge of my life. So if I've gained anything, I've gained wisdom through the years that I've lived that way. I haven't necessarily gotten any smarter, but I've gained wisdom. Um, I, you know, I, I came from a middle-class home. I was uh, raised Catholic. I I both feared and, and loved and loathed the church. And about the age of six, I wanted to be a mystic because I would look at the church and the pomp and circumstances and go, this this guy you know, has got some kind of connection going with God. I, I want that kind of connection. So I asked my mom to read me books, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, read me the Bible, read me Napoleon Hill, read me whatever we had in our library, you know. And, uh, and so we had two rituals. One was to, uh, to watch movies like on Saturday and Sunday afternoon, like watch the Marx Brothers and different comedies and old classics, which uh, made me really want to become an actor and and get into the filmmaking business. And two, reading these books at nighttime before I would go to bed really made me want to be a mystic and and uh, uh, a thought leader. So, you know, I um, I have managed to make both of those happen. But in my 20s as an actor, I, I experienced some difficulty. And I was getting very frustrated. Uh, I went skydiving and injured my back, went to a doctor in Beverly Hills and said, you know, I, I can't sleep. I can't move. I can't. I'm in a lot of pain. Can you do something? And he went, yeah, here, take these. And literally gave them to me as I was exiting his office. I mean, he gave me a prescription, but said, you can take them. Gave me a little cup so I could drink. I got in my car. It's like the last thing I remember for months. My sister, when I picked her up, said, you were all over the road. The fact that you, that during this time, I didn't injure anyone or myself was amazing. But um, I, it was it was an amazing uh, journey in that I just kept going downhill and 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 I I, was, I thought I was cracking up I thought I was losing my mind I had no idea that it was the medicine I was taking. What what type and, of drugs did they have you on? Uh, Painkillers, opioids. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the the the, the I, I don't know if it was the, it it was a misprescription of two pills a combination that proved was supposed to be lethal in taking it. And I survived it. They, they said, you're like a walking miracle. You should have been dead in a day or two, you know, and, and, or in a coma. And I, you know, and I survived all of it. And, and um, somehow I remembered to take the medicine. I mean, you know, that's the thing that I never could figure out is I was apparently popping these pills. And then friends of mine who said, you know, you're cracking up, you need to calm down here, take a quaalude here, take a Valium. Here, take a Valium. <laughs> and then somebody say, oh, well, you're, you're really sluggish. Here, have some cocaine. Here, have some of this. Here, here you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was a, I was a walking pharmacist, not pharmacy, not for sale. You know, I was just blending these cocktails. And um, it ended up where I nearly was in a coma. And my sister called my parents to come who were traveling and to come back and find me. And they, they just you know, found me littered with pill bottles and pot and alcohol and, and, uh, and all sounds like my twenties too. Yeah. Really, <laughs> you know, it's kind of the time too. Right. But, yeah. uh, and they took everything away while they were trying to figure out what psychiatric institute institution to put me in. Wow. And as I, so I went cold Turkey on the drugs and then 
decided, wow, I ruined my life. I wanted to kill myself. So I jumped out of a window to try and kill myself. And I failed at killing myself. I literally went two stories down, landed on grass. It wasn't cement or I probably would be dead, but I landed, you know, in a yard and, uh, but straight on my head fell over. And I was like, shit. Right. I mean, I can't even kill myself. I ran back around uh, to go upstairs and I had locked myself out of the apartment. I couldn't get back in. I'm trying to break down the door and everybody stops me. And at that point, I realized, boy, I need something. Mm -hmm. Well, it took me a long time to get there. But eventually, you know, uh, a few months later, through a lot of just agony and whatever, I decided I would lock myself in my apartment and stay inside my apartment. I write about it in the book. I tell you, so I'll cut oh, to yeah. it. Tell, tell us about it, because I, I think that's important. I, and also, just I want to I just tell everybody, when you read the book, you're going to find out about there was a cat in the tree. <laughs> you scared me about the cat. You scared me about the cat, dude. I was like, no, no. The cat Don't kill Wendy's cat, right? Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> but the, um, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I locked myself in my apartment for six weeks or more, and um, I committed to sitting in a chair. I would, I would get up to eat, you know, get some food, or I would go down to the local market to get some food and come back. But essentially, I lived in a in an Easy Boy recliner for more than six weeks, where I would, I would just go inside. I would like hypnotize myself. I would meditate. I would affirm. I would visualize. I would do everything I could to try and feel better. And during the process, I was, I was sitting there and I, again, I say, I write about it in the book, but I would go like, why did this have to happen to me? Why am I such an idiot? How come, how come, you know, this happened? Why did I lose my girlfriend? How come I, you know, I, I, my career, nobody will talk to me, you know, what the hell is going on? And about three or four weeks into it, it suddenly occurred to me that I didn't really care about any of that crap. Mm. I wanted to know how I could emerge from this room and get out of this chair and face the world with confidence and move through the world successfully and not be carrying this baggage around. I mean, I really hurt and I, you know, and I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to get back out or resurrect my career or get the girl back, which was a huge motivating factor at the, at the time. I didn't, by the way, I didn't get the girl back. We became friends but I didn't get her back. And, um, uh, which was great. I'm glad I didn't get her back now, but I mean, at the time, you know, but it literally, when I realized that I was asking the wrong kind of questions, I started to ask different questions. Instead of saying, how long is it going to take me to get out of this chair? I started saying, how soon can I make a difference in my life? How quickly can Ooh. I discover myself, you know, being confident? How, how easily am I going to go make friends again? How, how, and how many different ways might I find or think or be creative about getting my career back as opposed to just complaining and whining and blaming the world myself and every, you know, and everything in it about my circumstance, I started to think creatively, you know, because people say, how long is this going to happen or how much is this going to cost me? And my question is how much is it going to cost me not to do it? Exactly. Oh, Rex. I love that. I love that. Um, speaking of questions, that's one of my, what is my favorite thing to do? So I'm glad you brought that up for me. I love asking my questions like, you know, so, um, like one of the questions, you know, when is it, what, what would it feel like if this was already the case? Like yeah. you know, when you sit there, we always want, we always play the someday game. Like, Oh, someday when this happens, then I'll be, you know, someday this, then I'll be, you know, we all, we all have those textbook things. So what are some of the favorite questions you like to ask yourself now, um, that help keep you on point with your life? And your I, goals? I, 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 you know, with all due respect, I don't, I don't do that because I don't want people to parrot my questions. I want them to come up with their own questions. And, and I created something called directed questions for that very reason. And uh, at, back in the 80s or 90, 80s, early 90s, they wanted me to put out a product and they had it, wanted me to do an infomercial. The Gunthy Renker came to me and said, hey, will you do this? And I said, no. And uh, while I did everything to make the product, I then pulled the plug on it because I went, I don't want to hand people little cards with questions on it kind of thing. It's, it's not, that's not the most powerful application. And I've got, people have taken my stuff and put it in all sorts of different books. It's out there all over the place but they've missed the heart of it. It's, it's, it, but, but you know, in the sense that when you come up with a question that resonates with you, it makes a difference. If you're just reading somebody else's question, it's not quite the same. And, and so the, the, the best thing one can do for them, oneself is, is, is think in terms of Napoleon Hill for a second. You, you need a definite chief aim or purpose, something that you know that you want to do or accomplish. And you make it a white hot obsession. You become obsessed with it so that you develop the certainty that you're going to, to acquire it or make it happen. And then you persist until you get it done. It begins with your thinking. 
So if you think that way and you start to ask yourself questions around it, how do I make this happen? How can I make this happen? What will I discover? You know, I'm known in many circles worldwide. I've got a very incredible reputation seller I'm pleased with uh, for neurolinguistic programming. And one of the patterns that we've taught in, in NLP didn't, didn't originate with NLP. It originated thousands of years ago. It's just act as if principle, mm -hmm. which is, and, and here's this, here's what so many people miss. They want to make their present state, their future state. It's the other the way future around. state, their present state, right? It's the, the other way around. You got to make the future state your present Sunday game. It's, it's living, as Neville would say, it's living for the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Neville didn't originate that. It's been around since the dawn of written history, but what Neville said it in such a way that people can easily remember it. You know, live from the feeling of the wish fulfilled, meaning go there, be that, feel that excitement. You know, I, I always tell people, if you were to win the lottery, your publisher's clearinghouse were to come to your door, or, or somebody would write you a big check for X amount of dollars, how would you feel? Yeah, you probably feel pretty darn good, right? So here's the thing: between now and the time that Publishing Clearinghouse shows up, or between now and it's like Christmas. We, we're what eight months away from Christmas, but you know it's coming. Well, if on Christmas you knew you were going to get five million dollars, a relative died, let's say. I mean, you know, and and somebody that you unexpected, unknown to you. So it's not not about loss or grieving. It's just you you suddenly an attorney contacts you and says, "Hey, on Christmas Day." You're going to receive $5 million from this long distant relative you didn't know you had. Right. Now you got $5 million coming to you. How would you live your life knowing that in eight months you're going to get you know, $5 million? Would you still complain and whine? Or you sit there and go, oh, my God, eight months? I can't wait until that passes. What a sucky. How could they give me? Why would they spend it eight months from me? You know, I mean, in other words, why couldn't it happen? You'd I me personally, I'd go fantastic. This is awesome. I'd be looking forward to it. I'd be planning how I spend my money. I'd be dancing the happy dance. I'd be doing all this stuff because that money is going into my bank account on a particular day. I know it without a doubt. It's mine. It's got my name on it. Right. That's living from the feeling of the wish fulfilled. To hope and wish and want and pray and beg and plead and cajole and nag the universe will give me this, help me this, heal me this way, do this to me, give me money, help me, isn't going to get you there because the law of the universe is whatever you put out, you get back. So if you put mm -hmm. out wanting something, you get more wanting back. You put out hoping, you get more hoping back. You put out, you know, I own it, you get owning it back. Mm, I love that. I love that. You know what you're talking about, Rex, is something that I talk about. I tell people like, you know, in the same in the same aspect of, of the same aspect of like manifesting and things like that. I ask people, have you ever had a bad dream? And they're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, what happened when you woke up? Oh, my God, I woke up. My heart was pounding. And I I'm like, did you feel like the dream happened? The nightmare happened. Yes, absolutely. I'm like, that's the same thing. That's the same action that you take with that manifestation in your in your mind. You see that you visualize it. You see the money in your bank account. You see, you know, the the offer letter for the speaking opportunity or whatever it is. Because to your point, once you start manifesting that, once you start putting that, and your body starts feeling the endorphins, and you're putting out to the energy, you're putting that vibration and that frequency out to the universe. It can't help but come. It's the law of reciprocity. The the law of attraction and everything else. So one of the things that I, I I give people as an assignment to do is to sit down and sp spend five minutes a day and whatever your biggest dream is, spend time in reenacting that. So yeah. like for me, I know that I'm meant to speak on stages with like 10,000 people so I can see me I do this visualization, swear to God, I'm walking out on stage. It's ACDC highway to hell. There's the Ron and scripted uh, logo behind me and everybody's out there and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what's up kick ass nation. And everybody's like, yeah. And I just, I see that. I see that. And I feel that every single day because I know it's going to happen. And to your point, that's such a beautiful thing that you said, because like, you know, when I'm having tough days, I sit there and I say, okay, Chris, what, how would you feel right now? If you knew that June 23rd, somebody was going to call you and say, Hey, I've got a $25,000 keynote for you. We're going to fly you first class between now and then I'd be like, Oh my God, you know, I'm going to prepare and I'm going to do all these things. So when we have those downtime, I always tell people like, you should be preparing for whatever it is that you want most, not preparing once you get that thing. What do you think about that as far as, you know, re-mod re or modifying our, our, our beliefs and our intentions um, to be able to say that the language works for us against uh, instead of against us? No, well, I think you're I think you're what you just said is absolutely beautiful and it's right on target. I don't I don't think you, you know, um, I had a thing where Microsoft hired me to open up this big event in, in Central Park back around the turn of the century or something. And before it happened, I was like they paid me big money to go around the country with them. 
And I was like, before it happened, I, I had at the time a financial planner in the house with talking to my then uh, the president of my business. And I was like, you know, it just happened to me. And they're like, what? I, I just got this huge gig that's going to last all these months, but it starts here and it starts on this date. And here's what they're paying me. I lived that, man. And then I went to Central Park and I hung out with all these celebrities and all the people. I did the, my thing. And, you know, it was it's beautiful. That's how you live. The, you know, I, I'm, I try and help people understand this because a lot of people say, well, how do you do it? Or what do you do? Or, you know, that kind of stuff. You do what you just described. You do it as you described. You don't have to know how you're going to do it. You know, Steve Jobs is, is, is alleged to have said, you can't connect the dots going forward, but you can connect the dots going backwards. But that's also been one of those things that has been true for eons. Um, the Wright brothers did not know how to fly until they flew. Right. I mean, this is this is the, the thing that is lost on so many people. All the while they were experimenting, they were trying things and and they were failing. I mean, they were literally failing. They they it didn't work, it didn't happen, and people were saying, give it up. Even their own father was like, you know, you're idiots, stop. Don't the people everybody thinks you're a moron. And um, and one brother Dad. said to the other, you know, you really think this is gonna happen? And the brother said, I see it, we're flying, I know that this works, we're gonna keep let's keep at it, and they did. Well, after they flew, they could then tweak it. They could improve on it. But until they flew, they were trying to fly. But they were trying to fly with the conviction that they would fly. And they were making adjustments along the way by taking not failure as failure, but failure as feedback. So when something didn't work, they would say, okay, what do we need to do? What do we have to do? Now, they didn't circumvent gravity they didn't you know gravity didn't end and they just flew in the air they had to they had to understand and 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 kind of haphazard into this principle of lift that when you get to a certain speed with a certain you know certain uh, design to the wing and things like that that the plane would take off you know but but until they had all those components together it didn't happen then they got it together and they went oh cool now we can improve on this and guess what we're at the outer edges of the universe as a result of what they did so the living for the feeling of the wish fulfilled is to look back and connect the dots and reverse engineer how you got here by living it in your present not as it's if it's some far off day not as if it's christmas or june 23rd but as if it's right this moment because when you do that you open up all sorts of channels for yourself within yourself your subconscious mind is billions if not trillions of times more powerful than your conscious mind conscious mind directs it it tells it i want to go here i want to go there and the subconscious mind carries everything out but what people don't understand is the subconscious mind is a very willing servant that only says yes it never yeah. says no to you but it says yes based on what it's learned. So if you've learned to be afraid, if you've learned to smoke, if you've learned to bite your fingernails, if you've learned to overeat, that's what it will keep you doing. And it works on a very interesting principle. The law of conservation and the law of least effort is that everything that the brain does, does to conserve your energy, keep you alive so that you can reproduce and create, right? And, and repopulate the planet and not so that, you, you know, there's no such thing as self-sabotage. There's no such thing as your brain conspiring against you. What it's doing is it's working in a set of parameters. And then the human says, I don't like what it's doing. So it must be sabotaging me. Must be trying to get me to. And that's the domain of psychologists who have misunderstood how the brain works. If you understand how the brain works, what you need to do is not criticize your brain or create more, you know, division between you and it, but to retrain it and yeah. program it and to condition it the way that it learned in the first place so that it no longer does the stuff you don't want it to do but does the stuff that you want it to do then it'll be as much a faithful servant in the good habits as it is in the ones that you don't like right. but until you train it and and it takes a while to train it and most people give up and most people you know they see the secret and go well i tried it and i all right tried everything and <laughs> I, know. I tried everything you know they're full of crap uh-huh. I tried then, everything and it didn't work. Yeah. Okay. Uh, why did it work for a ten billion other people? But I mean, I've been doing this stuff for you know near you know most of my life. I'm you know six sixty years really, and um, I haven't tried everything. <laughs> Good night. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just have it. I've tried a lot, and there's things I've discounted and then came back to and found out hey, they actually worked if I gave it the, you know a, a good try. But so 
it is it's about programming your mind you got to learn how to program your mind and and uh sadly a lot of the thought leaders out there aren't telling people how to program their mind they're telling them mm. the wrong things much of the time they're telling them to work hard to, to to do all these things to struggle or take a massive effort or, you know sometimes it's good and i you know and I, I i step on a lot of people's toes but the point is um if your car is stuck in the mud you may need to take a massive effort in order to get it unstuck but then after that you don't need to keep taking massive effort right so you have to know how to apply things and 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 because the brain isn't the brain's not going the universe isn't taking massive effort all the time it's doing it with through the law of conservation of conserving energy and doing the least amount of work possible to get the largest amount of change it really you know the, the, the it's the lazy person's way to and you know to to self-improvement but mm -hmm. if you're just truly lazy and don't do anything you're not going to get it but it's not about working harder it is about being smarter it is about you know think and grow rich was not think in your room you know that oh i have piles of money coming in and, and watching them manifest in you it was that think is the first action you need to take is to get your thinking correct and here, right. and here I'll, i'm going <clears> to <throat> turn the mic back to you in a second but here's why attitude is the number one predictor for success and i've been doing this for over 40 years with the attitude activator and creating that um carl simonton the travis air force base determined that attitude was the number one predictor in terms of health and healing, especially when it came to the attitude toward a particular treatment. If you believed, like Henry Ford said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're correct. If yep. you believe it would help you, it could help you. If you believed it wouldn't help you, it was likely it wouldn't help. We've got, at, when I started my work in the 80s with this, because I actually started in the 70s, but around the placebo effect, and I've been criticized in books because I said, our goal is to make the placebo effect conscious to be able to engineer it, to make it work for us. No, it, with that being deliberate about it, people go, oh, that's so stupid. And doctors <laughs> poo-poo the placebo effect. Well, that, the only reason that worked was because it was the placebo effect. They, you know, they think it's working. It actually works. And right. what we discovered now, 45, 50,000 studies later, is that what you hold in your mind, your attitude, your expectations, which shape your beliefs, determine how healthy you are. Because if you're thinking negative thoughts and disempowering thoughts and, and bragging on yourself and on others and complaining and whining and excusing and all that, because if you're actually squirting the hormones and the chemicals inside your neurology that create stress, that inter interfere with your immune system, that raise the blood pressure, that screw with blood sugars, that add plaque to the, you know, to the arteries and that affect the heart. So you're actually um, decreasing your chances of staying healthy. You know, we hear the word dis-ease and disease and and that that's what happens when we think uh less than glorious thoughts and that's how most people think and so look at around look at the world you know how many people are having lots of health issues when you think positively oddly enough your immune system works better your stomach works better your heart works better everything works better you may not be you know the all-time god of the universe but you will be far better off by thinking positive and optimistic thoughts, the can-do thoughts, and vibrating at that frequency and feeling, living from the feeling of, I can do anything, and I'm happy, and I'm healthy, and I'm whole, and things are working for me, no matter what it is. So going right back to COVID, it's beautiful. It's an opportunity to wake up. It's an opportunity to go. I have the, the option of thinking crappy thoughts and feeling bad and succumbing to everything that that is going on in the world that may or may not be glorious, or I have the chance of waking up to my true potential and to manage my thinking and manage my feeling, thereby managing my behavior so that I can get the kind of results that I want. So whenever hardship comes out in, in terms of your own personal hardship or hardship in the world, it's a wake up call to mm -hmm. wake up and to smell the coffee and to smell the roses and to live and enjoy life even that much more. Oh, Rex, you're dropping bombs here, brother. I thank you for that. I have so many different questions just based on what you just riffed on. So I'm going to see if I can consolidate in my brain to come up with the right questions. So when I think about, you know, I want to go back, like for me, I always want to go back to the origins of what the root cause of a particular situation is not a symptom. Like, you know, like you went to the doctor, like, okay, we're going to treat the symptom. We're going to give you pills. We all know that that doesn't work. 
when I think about the root cause of where it is and why it is that we are who we are today is that conditioning process. And we know, and I'm sure I know you know this, that from the ages of zero to five, that conditioning process pretty much illustrates the fact that that's who we're going to become in our life. But by the age of five, we've had so many different inputs and so many different beliefs, the self-limiting beliefs that you talked about earlier. Talk to us about how we can rewrite some of that programming because here's here's the extra part of that question over the course of the last two years during COVID, my way of giving back was to give uh complimentary coaching sessions to people who because i know a lot of people couldn't afford it. it was my way of hey let me give you an hour of my time if i could just take one aspect of your life and and provide you some coaching and get you on the right path you know maybe i can just help a few people you know kind of just go through and become better people and and get through this challenging time in their life one thing I noticed about this Rex was surprising and, and Tony Robbins talks about it all the time. Once you start seeing people, you start seeing different patterns in people. And I started noticing something. So I started asking people this question. I started asking myself, okay, I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to give me your gut response. Don't think about it, but tell me yes or no. And I would ask him, do you love yourself? And I was surprised Rex because I thought, Chris, that's a kind of a stupid question. But I found out that probably about 70 to 80%, I talked to about 120 people. I didn't write them all down, but I talked to about 120 people over the last two years. And I found out that 70, 80% of them roughly had a chat, had a difficult time answering that question. How important is it for us to love ourselves, to be, re to be able to rewire some of that negative conditioning that happened when we were kids? Wow. Great question. Thank and, you. and there's no substitute. I mean, again, think of it. You have a choice. Either you love yourself or you don't. What's the alternative to not loving yourself? So how do we rewire all that stuff? Because that's a lot of stuff. I mean, we think about all the blaming we've done in our life. Oh, it's my parents' fault. I mean, I could easily, with my history, I could easily tell everybody, like, this is why I'm all screwed up. And I've done so, things, and I don't want to say what they are. Talk to us about how we rewire that and how we get to that point where we can love ourselves again. Well, you stop doing what you did. You can't perpetuate the old and expect it to be different in the future. If you always do what you always did, you always give what you always got, you know, and you know, the definition, you're right. But well, and before him, but the definition of insanity was, uh, or is, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting it to be different or expecting a different result. So here's the thing, you know, you're absolutely right on in terms of, of the conditioning and the ages. Uh, Aristotle said, show me a seven-year-old child and I'll show you the adult. Um, personality scientists for now say by five, six, you know, the personality is fashion. It's what you're going to live from the rest of your life pretty much. Between the ages of zero and two, we're primarily in dental, delta brainwave waves, and then we're into theta brainwave, you know, in the mostly in the theta brain, brainwave uh states while learning and then around the age of seven which oddly enough historically has always been like the age of accountability in 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 evangelical you know uh it's what aristotle said it's what you know uh, uh between seven and, and 14 where boys would become men and women would become you know girls would become women so it's it's an amazing it's amazing how much uh people know and understood back then think about the chakra system you start with you know uh, like reproduction and power, and then you go to, uh, you know, uh, control, and then you go to the heart, you know, and love, and then you go to communication, you go to intuition, you go to essentially enlightenment or oneness or bliss, you know, so the, the mass hierarchy of needs, you know, or yeah. a lot of the psychological development go, hey, look at here, here, look at the stages we go through in developing. So you, you, your conditioning happened to you when you were a child. You didn't have any say in it, but it's still going on. It's, it didn't end when you became seven or eight years old. It's going on constantly all around you, your news, your friends, your family, your, you know, the media, the government, the, you know, all around the world. So it, it's, conditioning hasn't stopped. It just, it's just that your primary conditioning took root when you were little. How do you change that? You stop. You have to stop. You have to. You have to disengage. You know, when you're driving your car, in order to go from drive to reverse, you have to go through neutral. You cannot go from drive to reverse without it affecting your engine. You have to go to neutral. So the same thing is with people. They have. You have to be able to recognize the pattern. How do you do that? You get a stop sign in life. You get a hardship. You get a trial. You get a tribulation. You get something that brings up your conditioning, and it'll come up all the time for you. You don't have to go look for it because it's there. It's coming up all the time. Somebody gives you the finger on the freeway and you go, that's your conditioning coming up. Yep. You know, but that finger that somebody's giving you is the opportunity to stop and let it go, to recognize I don't have to respond the way I have all of my life when somebody gives me the finger. I learned yeah. this, you know, when I was like 25, I started blowing kisses to people. 
dangerously so. I mean, I was so enamored with the amount of power I had. I'd be driving on the LA freeway. Somebody give me the finger, I go like that and watch them almost drive into the, you know, the car. <laughs> I know. And I felt at the time, you know, this glee of looking at what, look at how I screwed that for example. Cause then I was with my mom. I said, watch this mom. And the guy ran a red light and nearly got sandwiched. And I was like, Oh, better, better, better pull back on this stuff. Uh, but that was his conditioning, you know, <laughs> you know, what, why was this guy blowing a kiss to me kind of thing? Right. I, I assume, I don't know. But the point is, is that you have to be able to, you have, I, I, I tell people it's this way. There's dog shit and diamonds. There's dog shit and diamonds. That's, that's the choice you're faced with every day. You got to choose one or the other and whichever one you choose, choose the dog shit. You get the disease, you get the stress, you get the fear, you get the hurt, you get the anger, you perpetuate your conditioning over and over and over again you drag all those hurts and all those wounds and all those excuses and all those reasons and all those stories and all that stuff with you it's as if you wore every piece of clothing you've ever had in your life and you dragged it around and today you're wearing every piece of clothes you've had since you were born mm. you'd not be able to move it's a great analogy yeah you'd not be able to move so what do you do you have to divest yourself of that clothing and put on different clothing so in my book i talk about elvis presley's white sequin jumpsuit right right and and people have to try things on. They go, well, I, that's not me. You know, you go into a, a fitting room and you go, no, that no. Or somebody say, here, try this. And you put it on, you go, oh, no, no way. I can't wear that. Well, you could. I mean, you could if you just wore it. And the more you wear it, the more you'll get used to it. Now, some people may ridicule a bit. Other people might go, wow, that's really cool. Or that's really brave. Or that's really dashing. Or that's really daring. And the more that you have that, the more it becomes you. I mean, people people who peacock, you know, and they wear all the fancy clothing and they all the kind of stuff who draw all this attention, they most likely didn't start out that way. Right. <laughs> they weren't born, you know, like this. They had to develop it. Well, you, which tells you, you can do anything. You can learn to do anything. So the first thing is just to become aware. On your dashboard of your car is an alert light that tells you, hey, this is wrong. There's oil pressure. Your tire pressure is going. Your engine needs servicing. Something's happening. Your door is open. The trunk is open. All that. Those are alerts. Well, so are the experiences in our life that are less than glorious. As well as glorious. But it's easier to notice a negative pattern in many ways than it is a positive pattern because it hurts. And the reason it hurts is because you've been carrying it around. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's like an open wound that you keep putting salt in and going, well, I, you know. But it's like a badge of honor. It's like a victimhood, a badge of honor. See, see, I've got all these things, Chris Rex. I've got all these things. That's why I can't do these things. That's why I'm held back. Oh, I, you know, reasons and, and reasons and excuses are the biggest form of, of bullshit in the world. Nobody cares. First off, nobody really cares. And, and you shouldn't care. And if you're giving yourself reasons or excuses, then you, you know, you're trying to con yourself. And at some point you wake up, you know, it, you don't notice the shoe if it fits. But if, if something happens and the shoe's too tight, then you notice it. Right. Well, that's what the world does. It gives us every opportunity to notice ourselves. When, when you mentioned COVID, the day we had lockdown, I gave away a $1,000 program like that. Hundreds, scores of people, thousands of people got the program. But I can tell who's done the program. Mm -hmm. Probably like 10 people. Yep. I mean, it's always like 1% or 2% of the people will actually do something. They got the program. Maybe they'll use it in the future. But they didn't do anything when they got it. They just got it. They just took it. They claimed it and didn't even open it. Some opened it, you know, maybe got, you know, a page or two into it or something like that, you know. But, but this is, this is, this is, and that's comfort zone. And that's their reasons. And that's the stuff that keeps people um, from moving forward. So what you have to do is you have to stop doing things the old way. So you go, well, how do you do that? You literally stop. You know, if you get a negative thought or you hear yourself say a negative comment like, well, that's her fault. Stop. Just stop when you become aware of it and shake it off. Dance. Hold your breath. Count to 10. Do something. Be silly. Laugh. Do anything. Interesting. And then shift. You know, I created this thing called the Attitude Activator, which is exactly what this does. It designs people to go from stuck to unstuck by recognizing when the, when the triggers occur to take that moment and then stop. It literally, in the, in the audio recording, will say stop be different because you have to stop you have to pause and then be different if you can remember stop drop and roll which is what they taught you if you're running out of a burning Van Dyke. if <laughs> if you're out of, are. out of a building well the same thing is you can stop pause and shift you can stop breathe and think differently 
So, but if you constantly do what you've always done, you just keep wiring it in. The, the both the good and the bad news is this thing called Hebb's law or Hebb's principle, which says neurons that fire together, wire together. The reason why we are the way we are is because, you know, uh, our brain, in order to streamline, takes the stimuluses that, that happen, it clusters it together, wires it together, and it becomes a, a neurological pattern. It's literally like a path through the forest. It lays down these tracks, and then it just, you keep law of conservation of energies. It just keeps going down those paths. Well, until you reprogram it to go down a different path, it'll keep going down the path. But you've done this before in your life. If you've ever moved from one home to another home, um, or residence, whatever you want to call it. And, or in the old days when we had phones that you would dial and you actually knew your phone number, yeah. what would happen is people get a change of number and they would find themselves dialing their number or a friend's number. They would dial it and, and they go, Oh, I don't want that number. I don't want that number. So they had to think, oh, no, I want the new number. I want the new number. Or they would go, they would start to go home from work or school or wherever and they'd find themselves at the old house or the old residence and go, no, I didn't want to go. Autopilot. It's autopilot. Well, if you've ever, if you've ever said, I'm going to go to the store and I have to get off at this street and you drove by it, mm -hmm. you know, you, you've, you've, you've missed your exit. In other words, you were caught up in whatever. That's an automatic program. You said, I want to do this, but you keep going this way. So the interesting, thank you, Lynn. It is, it is actually, it is awesome. And it's available from my website. But the um, the the point is is that you want to be able to say I need to get off here. So when people would go to the old house repeatedly or dial the old from repeatedly, you just have to do the new way, right? You go, I don't live there anymore. So what would you do? You go, I live here. I mean, it's, it's the reason why you focus to where you want to go. You have to focus. You have to be intentional. Yeah, but I'm trying to make this really profoundly simple you you know where you're supposed to go you know you're supposed to go to the new house but from time to time you find yourself going to the old house you don't have to like dig through your past to go why do i go to the old house you don't have to beat yourself up or do push-ups or take massive efforts to get to the new house you just have to start going to the new house and from time to time you'll find yourself going to the old house but the more you go to the new house that overwrites that old pattern same mm -hmm. with the phone number. It overwrites the pattern through doing it, not thinking about it, not talking about it, not wanting to do it, but by actually doing it. This is, But you think it first, right? I'm going to New House. Now, here's the thing. Your brain doesn't forget the way to the old house. It just doesn't retrieve it unless it's absolutely necessary. So if you said, I want to go back to where I was born, you can go there. You know how to get there but you don't do it on a daily basis anymore because you're going to the new house. And if you change residence again, you'll go through maybe a similar process, but eventually you'll be in the new house, you know? So now you have two old houses that you could go to, but you don't because the brain gets it. So it delivers to you what you train it to do. You, and you trained it in, in many ways. If you learn to read and write, you trained your brain. If you learned the ABCs to singing, you trained your brain. If you learned to eat with a fork or a spoon, you trained your brain. If you learned to walk, you actually trained your brain. If you learned to run, if you learn, you know, everything you've learned to do, you've learned to do. Think about that. You've learned to have problems. You've learned to feel bad, not you, but we've learned to feel bad about ourselves. We've learned to feel less than less than competent. We feel less than glorious. We, we've learned excuses. Why? Because somebody said, did you take the cookie? Go, well, no, no, it wasn't me. It was Susie took the cookie. Well, why would, why did you lie to me? Well, because, you know, and we come up with all these things because we've been conditioned to do that. So now if somebody says, you know, why are you late? You go, well, because, you know, you give it, you give an excuse or a reason. It's, it's automatic, but you can be freed. You can be, I hate to use the word, but you can be cured. You can, you can stop doing what you used to do that would cause pain and suffering and angst and fear and worry and all this stuff and start living a really wonderful, glorious life. Kind of like people who go, I don't dance can become incredible dancers if they just give themselves permission to dance. People go, well, I couldn't sing in public, but those who've learned to do that can be, whether they do it good or bad or right or wrong, you know, karaoke became popular all around the country. And a lot of those singers who sing in public are horrible singers, but they mm. love singing. Yes. So you can sing, you can dance, you can, you can live a glorious life if you just allow yourself to do that. And then understand that you're going to have to, if you want the body of Arnold Schwarzenegger, you want a chisel sculpted, you know, bodybuilder body, 
you gotta you gotta one you gotta decide that you want to do that and then say i'm gonna stick with the program no matter what and then you eat right exercise right sleep the right amount and do whatever you have to do to condition it it's not going to happen sitting on the couch eating potato chips and it's not going to happen by sitting in your room going i want the body of arnold schwarzenegger you've got to actually get out and do it at a certain point but the first step you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The first step is deciding to go on that journey. It's the mm. thought. And then the second step is the actual step in the planet. So for us, we have to we have to grab hold of our thinking and learn how to reprogram our thoughts and yes. reprogram our feelings and reprogram our behaviors so that they all work together. And you know what? If you do, your brain is a servant that will go, I get the new program and I'm going to deliver it so that it's automatic, reliable, and can happen anytime you need it, want it, or choose to do it. Mm. I love this. We're, we've already been going for 50 minutes, dude. This is crazy. Wow. We could we could have a, like a five-hour show. I yeah. want to ask you one other question. I want to I want to talk a little bit about the book before we wrap up. What you were talking about right now, one of the biggest excuses that I hear, and I, and it's, it goes back to that conditioning process when you know I think back when I was a kid, you know, like Christopher, did you do the best you could? Yeah. Okay, we'll do better next time. Number one, they never identify what our best is and we never identify what better is. But that becomes one of the big top excuses in our life. Like, well, I did the best I could. I did the best I could. Okay, what is your best? How do you know what your best is? So how, what in your perception, in your, your, your experience, Rex, how do we get people to really identify what their best is and how to exceed that? It's a fascinating question, and I'm sure there's a lot of different answers. And depending who you listen to will give you different, different takes on it. I would say this. If you are authentically yourself, where you fall in love with yourself and you know that you are worthy and you are deserving and you are on the planet for whatever reason, purpose that you want to assign to it, you know, um, that, that you're pretty well doing your best, whether you're doing anything or not. Because best, best in terms of what? Best in terms of accomplishments, best in terms of going after a goal, best in terms of learning, best in terms of listening, best in terms of being a husband or a parent or a wife or, you know, what I mean, in other words, it's it's one of those questions that's very hard to answer. Um, well, here's a, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it. I'll phrase it this way for you, because this is something that I that I know for me is like when I sit there and I said, oh, I've done the best I could. When I think about it, I'm like, and I go dark. So just warning, I go dark. So I think, you know, like if, if, if somebody said, you know, a lot of people sit there and say they need more money. So I'm like, okay, if I asked you to raise $10,000 in a week and it couldn't be illegal, immoral, or unethical, could you do it? 99% of the people go, oh my God, $10,000 in a week? Are you crazy, Chris? I'm like, okay. So do you have kids? Yes, I do. Okay. What are their ages? Oh, they're seven and eight. Okay. So if somebody put a gun to your seven-year-old and said, you got to raise $10,000 by next week and it can't be illegal and moral and ethical. Would you be able to do it? Yes or no? Yes. Their best automatically just became way better because of the leverage that they placed on yes. the, in the situation. So for me, that's what I think about. Like, did I do my best? And I'm not, like we said before, you know, I'm not asking people to go kill themselves 24 seven, but I think there's gotta be a little bit of maximization of blood, sweat, and tears. I think that, you know, it's about, you know, really exceeding our level of expectation, getting out of that way of being comfortable. Like you said, that's kind of more where I was going at because when, for me as the no excuses coach, that's my thing is really trying to get people to exceed what they think is their best because it's bullshit most of the time. Well, and, and I, I fully agree with you and, and I fully agree with your example. Um, it is true that when, you know, the right set of circumstances is there, people will rise to the occasion in ways that they'd never even begin to think possible. Part of the problem with people is that they can't imagine what they can't imagine yet. And I always tell people, I go, you know, you are where you're at right now. And I would love for you to imagine a future that is so wonderful that you can't even begin to imagine it yet. But you can if you begin and you start. So given the kind of conditions that you set, um, the, the difficulty with a lot of people is, is that they are comfortable being uncomfortable. It's, it's okay. They tolerate pain and suffering and, and fear and worry and, and frustration incredibly. They, mm -hmm. they tell the stories about how they want to change and how they want to do things. And then they do very little to do that because they feel you know, that some force outside of themselves or even within themselves is preventing them from doing so. And, and they have all these reasons and all these excuses and all the, and all the, and all the stories about why they do it. You know, I, I always tell people, you know, if, if you say I can't afford that 
and there's lots of things in your life that you couldn't afford, when are you going to stop saying, I can't afford it and start learning to do the things that allow you to afford it? Because the, the biggest excuse, the number one excuse for most people is I can't afford it. Then the other one is I don't have time, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and if you don't have the time, whose fault is that? You know, mm -hmm. I live my life. I own my time. And I own my money. I've had lots of money. I've had little money. But whatever I do, I do what I want, when I want, where I want, with whom I want, because I can't. Because that's how I've structured my life. That's how I structure everything. If I don't have money, I find a way to do it. If it comes down to it, like what you just said, I'll, I'll raise the money. There's in, in Law of Success, in the very opening of The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill, it talks about Gunsalus, a, a minister who wrote a speech. What would I do if I had a million dollars? And he wanted it by the end of the week. And he um, took out an ad and said, I'm going to be in those days, you know, you take ads in papers and go, I'm, I'm talking, you know, this sermon topic in my church or at a guest church, you know, and it's what if I had a million dollars? Well, uh, armor of the, of the armor packing industry, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that name from meat and canned foods. I mean, uh, saw this and went to his speech. And oddly enough, he wrote this eloquent speech, apparently, and left his notes at home got to the pulpit and went, I don't have my notes. He had to just speak from his heart what he would do if he had a million dollars. At the end of his speech, Armour walked up to him and said, I liked your speech. Meet me this week in my office and I've got the money for you. Within a week or two, he had a million dollars and they created the Armour Institute of Technology in Chicago. Mm. I think I got the title right, but Anyway, it was and and in Gunsalas, I, I can't ever say his name because it's just one of those weird names. But Gunsalas, um, Gunsalas or whatever, um, was the uh, president of it for something like twenty-three or twenty-seven years. And it all was based on the fact that I want this money, I want it now. What would you do? You know, I mean, here's the thing: people go, well, you know, and and a lot of the thought leaders do this because they tell people you don't want to be unrealistic, so set a goal. You know, make it stretch it, but make it realistic because, you know, it's probably not going to happen overnight. So people go, well, if I could have a million dollars, maybe I could do it in five years or 10 years. And, you know, the idea is that we underestimate what we can do in a certain amount of time and overestimate what we can do in another amount of time. Yes. The point is, is what if you got up and said, what if I could have a million dollars this month? What if I could have a million dollars this week? What if I could make a million dollars a day? And why not? Because there are people who are making millions of dollars every day. It's just how large you can dream and whether you're willing to put into into practice or put your money where your mouth is and go, if I wanted a million dollars a day, I, there's going to be ways I have to think in order to do that. Because if you can't imagine doing it, you're never going to do it. That's why Henry, right. said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're correct. But he'll, he also said this, and it's even more important, said, I never let what I cannot do prevent me from what I can do. Right there. Most people let what they cannot do or what they cannot imagine or what they cannot think of, they cannot conceive. And if you can't conceive of it, you'll never do it. So you, you, in order to behave in a new reality, you have to first conceive of that reality. And if they can't, if they can't think their way there because there's all these excuses and reasons and stories about how they're broken or wounded or otherwise, or how the world is a cruel place or how God has not blessed them or, or the government holds them back or the billionaires are keeping them down, with all that stuff, they'll never do it. That's why 97, 98% of the population never does anything. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you and I are here, we're trying to wake up, you know, one or 2% of the 97 or 8%. I want to wake up 8 billion people. I'm here to go, hey, you know what, world? It is a glorious, wonderful place. My son came to me when he was 16 years old, said, you think the world's ending, Dad? And I said, why do you say that? He said, well, you know, given, given what's going on in our time, the political political climate and you know all the catastrophes and this kind of thing i said well think about it this way when 9 11 happened for the united states it was the first really big event for domestic terror I mean, it happens before but i mean for terrorism in our country and and three thousand people died but a lot of people ran toward those crumbling towers both during it and afterwards and and sacrificed their lives by contracting diseases or or whatever mm -hmm. There to help you see a, an accident on the freeway a lot of people stop and gawk but a lot of other people stop and help mm -hmm. you know we we there are far more good people in the world than there are bad people or we'd all already be in jail we'd all already be in you know concentration camps so the world would be a very different place if it weren't for the many good people 
Same with weather days. I know everybody, the world is changing and weather is changing, but we still have far more better or fair weather days than we do bad weather days. The reason why bad weather and, and, and acts of violence and crime are on the news repeatedly is because they're rare. That's why they're news. The things that are going on all the time are the good things that you never get reported. But they are happening with greater frequency than all the bad stuff, even when it seems like all the bad stuff is going on. But keep in mind, the reason why you're hearing all the bad stuff is because somebody said, you should know about this stuff. And, mm -hmm. and, and they make money off of you knowing about it. I mean, it's, just, it's a profit-driven machine. They have a, a news source that only reports bad news. Yeah, that, that, don't even get me started on that. That's crazy. But I want to respect everybody's time. I want to respect your time. Um, I'm going to have you back on to talk more about this book. But uh, where can people get a hold of this book? Because uh, it is brilliant. Yes, well, and, and somewhere you have, that's my website, rexsykes.com. And somewhere you have the, uh, the book link. But they can go to Amazon, get the book softback or hardback. And what they do, and this, this is what I'm really proud of. And, uh, and hopefully people will take advantage of it. And then I want to come back and say something about what you opened with. Um, if you get the book, I want to give you a, what's been valued at as $500 training, $497 training called the Mastery Loop, which help you master your thoughts, your feelings, your behavior, so that you get incredible results and that you can make your life a much better life than you're currently living or be your best, as Christopher would say. So um, get the book, you take your receipt code to that website, rexsykes.com slash book. You follow the instructions there. I think step three tells you where to put the code. And I will give you and gift you an online training uh, that will accompany the book that you'll be glad that you have. And, and, and lots of people are getting the training. The other thing is, is I have a newsletter. Go ahead and sign up for the newsletter. You also get a free audio gift if you do that. The newsletter, going back to what you said in the beginning, I have had two Facebook accounts shut down with tens of thousands of people, I now am growing my third or fourth Facebook account because wow. of similar situations, you know, to you have. So it it does it does serve as a great reminder for all of us to to exchange email addresses or to sign up for newsletters or to put your name somewhere so that we can all remain in touch. Because if social media does disappear tomorrow or or whatever, there's no way for us to get in touch. And the other thing is, really honestly, is is phone numbers too. Some way to be in touch. You know, especially if you're friends. I mean, today is a world of, of relying on phones and the memory of the phone and your GPS and everything. So nobody knows how to get anywhere and nobody knows what phone numbers there are. I've taken all my important family members and, and all that kind of stuff and I put their 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 numbers down in multiple places in journals. Because if tomorrow all the phones or the phone network dies, I still want to be able to travel there if I can or call them using a different, you know, different thing. So um, it's worthwhile to to take a moment and make sure that we can reach each other definitely definitely that is super super important man rex i appreciate you for being on the show i definitely got to have you back because there's so many other places we can explore uh, i'd love dancing and conversation with you so thank you thank you for being here and guys make sure you connect with rex i'm going to place you backstage here for a second then i'm going to end the show but don't go anywhere okay thank you everyone thank you chris you are awesome. You are awesome. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. A little over time that we normally do, but uh, thank you guys all for hanging in here. Robert, I'm going to go back and, of course, always read your comments and uh, and comment on those. So thank you, my brother, for for being so verbose and, uh, and chiming in with us. Uh, appreciate that. We got Lynn here commenting. She goes, this is why you guys are good together. Love it. No excuses. Change what you don't like. Uh, change what you don't like it. Uh, mind shift is what Rex knows, uh, shows you instantly. Yes, absolutely. And like Lynn said, also here, you know, the attitude activator is awesome. It's something actually I'm going to be doing here in a minute. I'm in the middle of a course. So once I'm done with that course, I'm going to finish this course because I just finished the book, just finished another book. So I'm always reading and always growing and always learning. And uh, Lynn says here also the, the course is fabulous. So thank you for that plug as well. And Robert, he says, thank you both. It was very inspiring and fun. Appreciate you. Uh, Robert also says here, if social media vanished, I would make another, uh, as it was created, my uh, apartment, I think my apartment may magically become clean. There you go. Well, uh, clean your apartment there, Robert. I appreciate you for being here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, for spending your time here, connect with Rex. You know, go to rexsykes.com, uh, get his book. Um, you know, it's powerful. I literally just finished reading it yesterday in order to get this interview done, uh, to speak from it. And it is brilliant. It's, it's, it's a step-by-step -step process of what you need to do to reclaim that brain with of yours and be able to take proactive 
action in order to change what is not working for your life. I mean, Rex said it so beautifully, and you guys heard me talk about it here on the show, the three A's, awareness, acceptance, and then action, right? So you got to become aware. Ask yourself in those moments, is, does this bring me joy, yes or no? And if it's something that doesn't bring you joy, the next question you need to ask yourself is what, what am I willing to do to change it so that it does bring me joy? And I'm not telling you guys that everything should bring you joy, but you know, pretty much in your life, if you have, if you have 90% of the life of the questions that you ask and you find out that they're not bringing you joy, then you got to ask yourself, what is it that you need to change about your thinking? And, and go back to that self-love component, because when you start loving on yourself and you start really uh, accepting yourself for where you're at, and then you want to truly be who you are, which is I am, you know, the no excuses coach, you guys give me lots of compliments all the time. Chris, you're so awesome. You're just being you. And I'm like, yeah, it's taken me a long time for that because I've asked myself those questions and I've been very honest in those answers. So I've had to wish people well out of my life, including my sister back in 2005. You know, I'm constantly working towards becoming a different person each and every day so that I know when my time is called from the good Lord or wherever I'm going to go next, that I know that my legacy has served itself and that I have in fact been here as a voice of change, that my uh, eulogy will in fact say Christopher Roush fought for what was right and what was fair. He risked for which that mattered and he left the earth a better place for who he was and what he did. Ladies and gentlemen, I invite you to write your eulogy. You've heard me talk about it so many times when, like what Rex said, when you know where it is that you're going, you start to work backwards. You put those pieces of the puzzle together and you create that, you know, it's about having that belief. It's about having that vision in your life of what you believe is possible. But so many of you guys are walking around with this short sighted, like little thing, like, oh my God, this, that, and the other thing. And you're pouring all this toxicity into your life. And yet you're wondering why you're miserable. Start examining that. Wake up in the beginning of the day. Claim the intention that you're not going to continue to tolerate the same bullshit you guys have been, you've been tolerating all your life. Ask yourself, why am I tolerating this? Why am I putting up with this? You know, the other uh, exercise that I would invite you guys to do is list out everything you're tolerating. List out all the things you're tolerating from yourself, tolerating from other people, and tolerating from inanimate objects like the washing machine keeps jamming or the car doesn't start right away or the door sticks or whatever it is. List all that shit out. And then ask yourself, what would it feel like if a third of these were gone tomorrow? How much more capacity to think would I have? How much more capacity to love and to treat myself better and to be healthier? Add on the different questions that you would have. You know, by doing that and relieving yourself of all that extra clothes, as Rex said, you know, just imagine how different you would feel. Just imagine that and then hold that tight in your heart every single day and ask yourself, what is it that you can do to fulfill that obligation? You know, number one, hydration. Number two, sleep. Number three, nutrition. Take care of those three things. Make sure you're not tolerating bullshit and you're striving to become a different person every single day. And I promise you, you will be kick-ass unstoppable. Uh, I love you guys. If this show has impacted you, please, please share it out on your social media. Put a couple of words on there and say, hey, I just watched this great interview. Rex taught me this. Um, and uh, I would appreciate you guys sharing this out because that's what it's about. It's about extending this message to those people who may be not watching the show all the time. And together we can make an impact in this world. And that's what I invite you guys to do. So thank you so much for being here on the Raw and Scripted Show. I love you guys. I'm Christopher Roush, and we'll see you next Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. As always, go out there and be brilliant, and we'll see you next time.